0: I listen to The Diaries because it sparks ideas for new adventures. Whether it is an episode about an epic adventure or a backyard micro adventure, I start thinking about my next adventure. I'm inspired by the people and their stories to go a little farther and dig a little deeper. If you want to add more spark to your adventurous ideas, consider subscribing to The Diaries Plus today. I'm Crystal, a longtime listener from the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina.
1: Thanks to everyone who has subscribed to the Diaries Plus. It's been awesome, and you're powering the show as we move into the future. If you're interested in subscribing today, there's a link in the show notes. Please join. Now, on to the show.
0: So Fitz, hello. Hello. Today, or maybe this month, the Diaries turns 15 years old. This is true. That's a lot of years. What are you saying? <laughs> I was in high school fifteen <laughs> years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah. I won't, yeah. Okay. I won't date you. Okay. Please don't.
0: Okay. Well, but when you started this, do you did you imagine that you would still be sitting in a recording booth all these years later, still doing the dirtbag diaries?
1: No. I would not I would not say that. But I would say that very like quickly within a few weeks of starting this, I, I realized that, that it was gonna change my life in some way. Mm. And it felt like this moment where I'd said yes to an idea. And I, I didn't know what that meant, but I said yes to it and I committed it and it just felt like I was like pulling away from, from shore. Mm. Um, and I had no idea what the hell I was doing And then all of a sudden it's like it's happening and it's Mm -hmm. like there's some momentum to it. And part of it's you're reacting and then you're learning how to say yes to more things. And there's a point, I think, in every creative or every adventurer's life, like in climbing or if you're a skier, in the beginning you just sort of have to say, yes, I'll go try this thing that's intimidating to me. And mm-hmm. and you do that more and more, and you keep saying yes, and then there becomes a point where you, you sort of learn to say no sometimes too, being like, well, th- that doesn't that doesn't quite feel right, or or I look at this and and just because I have have the time to do it doesn't mean I should right now. And um, you know, in the mountains that keeps you safe, um, in creativity that keeps you on course. It, mm-hmm. it keeps you moving forward. But that ability to say yes in the beginning and and too, like when you're stuck in a rut to, to new things is, is so important because I believe mm-hmm. that creativity is a form of optimism. And it is, that is just so powerful, the ability to say yes to something, whether that's yes to a friend or yes to an opportunity. And that's what I did 15 years ago, but I had no idea, you know, where it would lead. Mm-hmm. And, and now I have more control over the vision and more mm-hmm. uh, authorship in in where I, I think I want to go and that's cool
0: mm-hmm well we're all glad that you said yes to that
1: well I am too cuz it's been the coolest journey and not always easy but super rewarding and I'm grateful for everyone who's listening and has followed along through all these years
0: Well, today we bring you guys a story about what happens when you say yes. Four friends, an idea, a sailboat, and a destination.
1: It sounds so simple.
0: Until it isn't. I'm Fitz. I'm Cordelia.
1: You're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries.
0: During the summer of 2020, Kiko Lopez worked as a bartender at the Dolphin Marina restaurant in Harpswell, Maine. He was a film major at the University of Tampa, but he'd come home to Maine when the country shut down due to COVID. And as the fall semester approached, Kiko found himself dreading a semester of film classes taught over Zoom. In mid-July, Kiko's friend Elliot Pressman, who also worked at the Dolphin Marina, approached him with a question.
2: So I was behind the bar and, you know, I was kind of towards the end of the shift. So I was grabbing all these bottles, cleaning them. And then he comes up to the bar after his shift is done. He goes, yo, uh, I heard you're not going back to school in the fall. So I was like, yeah, like, probably not. Sounds like hell. <laughs> um, and he was like, oh, ah, well, I'm going on this sailing trip down to the Bahamas. And I'm curious, would you want to go? And I was like, you serious? <laughs> yeah, I want to go. <laughs>
0: At 19 years old, Kiko had never set foot in a boat before. But he thought, why not? Seems like the perfect time to get away from screens and try something new. Elliot owned a 36-foot sailboat named the Red Sky, and he had a lot of experience sailing. He'd done that trip from Maine to the Bahamas before, so he'd captain the boat. Elliot recruited two of their other friends for the trip, too, Owen Ginty and Tucker Grout. Tucker had some sailing experience, but Owen was brand new, just like Kiko. The three other guys were all in their early 20s.
2: So I was kind of like the little brother in like all of these situations.
0: In August, Kiko and his friends sat down to map out their route. They would traverse the East Coast offshore until they got to Florida, stopping at ports along the way to restock. From Florida, they'd send the final stretch to the Bahamas. They'd explore the island for a few weeks, sail back to Florida, and then everyone but Elliot would fly back to Maine. They planned the whole trip to take five or six months, knowing they might have some weather delays. Once they had their route, the four guys chose a date to push off into the ocean, October 25th, the day after the Dolphin Marina restaurant closed for the season. In the months before they set sail, they spent most of their free time preparing for the trip.
2: So we have to make sure that the boat that we're going to be on is safe enough to be out there for that long period of time. So there were a lot of things that needed to get fixed, that needed to get redone. The first thing we did was we hauled the boat out. So we pulled the boat out of the water, put it up on dry land.
0: They repainted the bottom and coated sections with zinc so that bacteria and algae wouldn't eat away at the wood. They installed new rigging lines, refinished the cockpit, bought gear to last them several months. They stocked the pantry with provisions and serviced the engine.
2: I was driving everywhere all over Maine trying to find like different things. We needed a new timing belt for our engine. Like I learned how to do an oil change on a boat. I learned so many different things. I honestly don't even remember if I can remember them all.
0: So did they give you a crash course at all in sailing and how to run everything before you left or were you just kind of thrown in the deep end?
2: Um, I'd like to say I was just kind of thrown in the deep end. Um, I didn't really know what to expect because I had never done something like that. Um, so I did my best at like researching. I watched videos, tried to learn like the terminology and all of this stuff.
0: For the two weeks before their launch date, the four guys slept on the sailboat just to get used to the tight space. Then, on the morning of October 25th, Kiko Owen. Tucker and Elliot woke up on the boat at sunrise. A bunch of their friends and family gathered at the Dolphin Marina to see them off.
2: I was nervous. I was definitely nervous because I had never done something like this before. I didn't know what to expect. Um, It's dangerous. Like, I don't know, like we could die, (laughs) just get caught in a hurricane. But at the same time, I was excited because once you kind of let all those nerves go through, like thinking like all the bad stuff, then you kind of start to think about all the good things and you get really excited about that. We took off, right? So we motored out a little bit. And then once we got out into the harbor, we tried to throw up the sails so we could start sailing. One of the hooks that hooked onto a clamp broke right as we were trying to leave. So like everyone could still see us and we're just like not moving. And uh, so everyone's like, what's going on? Like, are they turning around? Like what's going on? And we had actually just, broken one of our clamps so we couldn't pull up our headsail or our mainsail so it was so messed up so we were like shit so we had to we had to go up fix that took us about like 15 minutes to fix that get a new clamp and then we finally got out you know how kind of how like you think you're going into something that you're you have a lot of excitement for, and then like it's a sailboat, you know, and we're just four dudes, so we're just we're going out, we're sailing, and trying to get super hype playing music, and then like an hour later, we're all just kind of chumming, just still sailing at like six miles per hour. It's like yeah, <laughs> you got too hype way too quick. <laughs> so it's. it's
0: Turn off the music. (laughs)
2: Yeah. You're like, all right, dude, that's enough of Ichi.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Had you taken the sailboat out before, just on little day trips, before you went? On the other side of our video call, Kiko vigorously shook his head. This was like your first time pushing out into the ocean? (laughs) Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we prepared very
0: well. (laughs) It took the guys about four hours to get far enough out into the ocean that the land disappeared from view. That first day on the water, Kiko learned more about crewing a sailboat than he had in the past six weeks of watching YouTube videos. So
2: we had our our main sail, uh, which was connected to the boom, and then we had our head sail. If the wind is blowing harder, you want less surface area because you don't want to push the boat too hard, depending, because then you could rip your sail or something bad is going to happen so you really want to be like cautious and that that sucked because every time we'd have to change the 90 to the 150 or the 150 to the 90 you have to physically go up to the to the front of the boat pull down this sail roll it up fold it up put it in a bag then take out the other one unfold it (laughs) clip it in and then you have to haul it back up all the way and so like you're doing this and like six foot seas as you're like rocking back and forth, like bumping up and down, like falling off the is So there's like a lot of like balancing that we had to kind of get used to. Like my sea legs, like I had to get sea legs within the first like two days.
0: By nightfall, Captain Elliot assigned watches. Two people would stay up for two hours on deck, making sure the boat stayed on course while the other two slept. Every two hours, They'd swap.
2: First night I was up on watch first. It was um it was beautiful out there, I will say. Cause just you're out there, nothing's around you. You don't see any lights, you don't see anything. You just hear like the waves kind of just pushing your along your boat. You hear the wind coming up against your face, and then the seasickness kicks in, and then you're like, Oh crap, I gotta puke, but I don't wanna puke. I remember first night I could tell I, I knew I was seasick. And I could tell Owen was seasick. Elliot and Tucker, they didn't get seasick because they had already sailed. So I was like, "I'm not gonna puke first. And I was like, "I'm not puking. I'm holding this in, and I'm waiting until you puke. I'm not gonna be the first one." So I literally held it out for so long, and I tried <laughs> to like figure out like different ways I could like keep in, like so like not to just projectile everywhere. So I was like. Deep breathing, like closing my eyes. Like, I, the worst thing, the worst thing that you can do is when you're seasick is stick your head overboard because that's just so automatic. Like, it's everything's coming up. So he ended up puking first. So I was like, oh, let's go. And I immediately turned around and I just followed right after. I was like, at least I wasn't first.
0: <laughs> Kiko and Owen did make it through the night and tried to keep some food down the next day as they made their way south towards Massachusetts.
2: We would try and make, like, just simple things that we could make while sailing. Because cooking while you're sailing is hard. Like your, especially eggs, because, you know, your egg can kind of slide around your skillet. So as the boat's rocking, your egg's sliding like, back and forth. So you have to, like, quickly, like, kind of scrape it all in the middle before anything, like, falls out or you break the yolk or something like that. A lot of it was scrambled eggs, otherwise it wouldn't look appetizing.
0: Their first leg, Harpswell to Onset, Massachusetts, took the crew two full days. Kiko let out a sigh of relief when he saw the Cape Canal. First leg, done. They docked at the Onset marina, ate some dinner, refueled, and recharged batteries. They had to let a storm pass, so they stayed another day in Massachusetts before pushing off towards Newport, Rhode Island. After a short stay in the Newport marina, they headed towards New Jersey, and lost sight of land again. Kiko, who was still just learning how to sail, looked for activities and ways to help that would fill his days on the open seas.
2: I don't like feeling useless, mm-hmm. so I try and, you know, find something to do, even if it's like cleaning the friggin' toilet. I don't so it's just like those little things, um, keeping busy. I mean, you're on a sailboat with nothing. Like, you don't have any internet, you don't have anything. So You have to find a lot of like kind of little things to do to keep your mind going to not like make sure you don't go crazy. I picked up fly fishing along the trip. That was a lot of fun. I learned how to like kind of tie your own flies. So how to wrap flies around hooks and like all this different yarn. I got a bunch of different like um, lines and stuff like that. Another thing I learned how to like braid like rope and stuff like that so I made a lot of like necklaces bracelets stuff like that I, I'd find shells or rocks that I thought were cool along the trip pick those up I'd drill holes through them try and make them like a necklace or little charms for my friends because I figure you know I, I'm going broke as this trip keeps going along so I just figured I'd make something you know make it more kind of you know personal you know ah, I made this for you you know I'm not, I didn't spend a single dime on it so here you go keeping your hands busy, keeping your mind going, playing music, playing music. I I don't think I've ever listened to as much music as I did on that trip. That Mm -hmm. music was my kind of just like peace.
0: A few days later, they docked in New Jersey, restocked food, and then pushed off towards Hampton, Virginia. That leg would be their longest at sea so far. Five days before they'd see shore again. By this time it was mid-November. We're
2: about seventy to eighty miles offshore of Delaware. And beautiful. Super nice. All of a sudden we look at we have a depth sound and like tells you how much, like what the temperature is of the water. Look down, it says it's like 74 degrees. The water's 74 degrees. Out in the middle of the ocean. So we're like, what? Like OK, we're in no rush to get anywhere. So we shut the engine off because was, there was no wind. So we couldn't put the sails out. So we turned the engine off and we're kind of just floating at this point. So we ended up just jumping in the water. That was the first time I had ever swam in the middle of the ocean.
0: The depth finder on their boat could read up to 699 feet. Beyond that depth, it just read dot, dot, dot. And they saw those dots when they jumped in.
2: I'm kind of, like, freaking out a little bit because I'm like, I don't know what the hell is under me, and I know something is under me. So, like, not knowing and, like, not being able to see is very nerve-wracking. Like, I jump in, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in, and then I want to get out. (laughs) Immediately, I want to get out. But at least I could say I did it. I did it a couple times, but it was still nerve-wracking as hell.
0: For Kiko, that swim became a highlight of the trip. Land nowhere to be seen, water hundreds of feet deep, This perfect collision between terror and freedom.
2: I can never say I've done that before, and I don't know when I'm going to do that again. So it's pretty cool.
0: But soon, the thrill of that swim wore off. The guys got back to work, hoisting sails, navigating, and managing their boredom. They still had several days at sea before they got to Virginia.
2: So that leg, without leg, was pretty crazy because that was like a consistent like you don't have any reception. You don't see anybody. You just occasionally see the other sailboat or the huge 400-foot cargo ship or whatever. Mm -hmm. That trip probably was the most eventful in terms of kind of drama.
0: Sleeping head to foot every night, crammed in close quarters, only seeing each other day in and day out it all started to take its toll on Kiko, Elliot, Tucker, and Owen.
2: Put four dudes in a confined space on a boat for a long period of time where they can't go in their own like room and shut the door. We didn't even have doors. Some shit's going to happen, you know. Elliot, our captain, one thing that he said to me at the beginning of the trip, um, if he could, he would have four of him running this boat. I was kind of like, well, shit, dude, like... That's not going to happen.
0: One evening off the coast of Delaware, the four guys started having a conversation in the cockpit. Elliot voiced some frustration that the other three had turned the engine on earlier that day without asking him. And that turned into a bigger accusation of crew members not taking the trip seriously enough and not pulling their weight. Tensions rose and the conversation grew heated. Elliot primarily got flustered he felt like he was single-handedly sailing the boat to the Bahamas. The others felt like they were helping in every way they could, but that no amount of work was ever good enough for Elliot. As Elliot's temper continued to rise, Kiko, Owen, and Tucker tried to calm him down.
2: So we kind of put him to bed. um, Then he comes back up. We resolve the issue, or we think we resolve the issue. Then it kind of starts to go into nighttime. He goes back down. For the next 20 minutes, the three of us, besides him, are up in the cockpit. We're kind of hanging. And then you start to hear the engine kind of like give like this, like a big roar. And it gets louder and louder. It's like you're kind of moving along. And you're like, what is happening? And you can feel when the engine is like heating up because the room starts to get hot. So we went down there and the engine was like overheating by an extreme amount. We were like. Okay, that's not good. Um, So we turned the engine off. So we were kind of just floating. And we didn't know what was going on.
0: The night before, Kiko and Owen had gotten really seasick. So Tucker and Elliot had kindly stayed up most of the night on watch. They had some good bonding conversations during that night together. So Kiko and Owen thought Tucker would be the best person to go tell Elliot about the engine problems.
2: So Tucker went down into Elliot's berth, which was his bedroom, to ask, like, yo, can you, like, the engine is doing this, like, what's going on? And Elliot had said, like, figure it out and just rolled over and continued sleeping.
0: More after a break.
1: Support for the diaries comes from Ketone IQ. As I've been getting more and more into longer runs and bike rides, I found myself fighting with my mind. As the miles extend, I feel like my reactions get slower and I make more mistakes, like tripping or falling, or just kind of feeling slightly out of sync descending on the bike. On those big days, I've been using Ketone IQ to help my brain keep fueled and sharp. I want to have fun, not bonk. Here's the science ketones already exist in your body. When you push up against your boundaries, your body begins to convert stored fat into ketones, which your brain prefers consuming. With Ketone IQ, I feed my brain so my muscles can use the glucose I get from whatever else I eat on the trail. Riders of the Tour de France have been taking the same approach. I am definitely not as fast, but I can apply the same thinking. Give it a try. You save 30% off your first subscription order at ketone.com backslash Diaries. Once again, that's ketone.com backslash dirtbag Diaries. The link is in the show notes. Please check it out. Support comes from Kuat Racks. The Piston SR is a single rail bike rack that easily mounts on most roof racks, overlanding utility racks, and truck bed rack systems. The dual ratcheting piston arm grabs your tires and makes no contact with the bike frame. So that's better for your bike, right? Plus, the rack has an all-metal construction, genuine Kashima coat, and integrated cable locks. That translates to being super burly. Kuat has taken their Piston Pro X and elevated it. Find more details at kuat.com. Kuat, because you will absolutely love this rack.
2: So we had no idea what was going on. He didn't want to help. He didn't help at all. He slept for six hours. So we were about, we were six hours out in the middle of the ocean drifting we don't know where the f- we are and so we were kind of like freaking out a little bit we're like we need to like call somebody like what is going on we knew there was going to be problems but the engine just completely shutting off and then there's no wind because it's such a nice day so we were just drifting
0: a few hours later they finally felt a breeze pick up over the waves kiko owen and tucker hoisted the sails they steered the boat back on course But they'd lost a lot of time drifting out in the wrong direction.
2: So we were thinking, like, Elliot had gotten pretty mad at us. There's no way he would have done something, right? But Tucker was pretty sure that he had done something just due to his attitude and, like, his reaction to what was going on. Like, he didn't seem too worried about it. Like, I feel like you're out in the middle of the ocean. Crew comes and tells you your engine's not working and you don't care. You probably have an idea.
0: The next morning, Elliot woke up and joined Kiko, Owen, and Tucker on deck, with a giant smile on his face.
2: And we're like, just so pissed off at this point. We're like, what? <laughs> and he and we asked him, "You're like, did you do something to the engine?" And he goes, "Yeah." As he's still smiling, and we're like, what? What? Why? What did you do? And he goes, "I, I turned off the fuel valve, so there was no fuel going to the engine." and we didn't know where that switch was so we didn't know and we didn't know like that that's what the issue was so he had done that and we were just kind of drifting for like 6 to 7 hours and he didn't he knew the entire time and just slept through the whole thing so we were up there having to deal with all of this misery of like not knowing what's going on not having any wind to use the sails having the engine overheating so we didn't want to turn it back on to see so it was just a total mess and I, I thought for just a second that the trip was going to end right there. I thought just for a second, I was like, shit.
0: Kiko and Owen got pretty upset. But Tucker, after his bonding conversations with Elliot the night before, he was more than upset. He felt betrayed.
2: Again, though, you know what I mean? Like, you're still on a 36-foot area. So you're furious at each other, but there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to, you can't shut your door and hide. You still have to keep moving. You still have to do your job.
0: The four guys fumed at each other for a few minutes. But then they still had a sailboat to steer and they needed each other to navigate safely back to land.
2: And I was like, do you guys want the trip to end right here? Like, do you want that to happen? If not, then let's fix this and let's continue going. So it kind of shows like the type of person you are. If like you still work with a person that should just despising at the moment, you know? Um, And I think that showed a lot about all of us um, that we were able to still kind of push that going through. People mess up. It's fine. Like we get it. We're still working. Um, So I think along that way, kind of like things were resolved. You're like, okay, like I get it. I'm a little more calmed down now. I can kind of talk to you more and like figure this out. He apologized. So there was like, there there were things that helped out. um, I think that were very, helpful in kind of resolving that issue.
0: A few days later, the team touched down in Hampton, Virginia. They gave themselves a nice long break in that harbor and stayed for almost a week so that they could get some space, go out to eat and see other faces. From Hampton, they motored for a week through the Intercoastal Waterway, which is a series of inland canals, lagoons, rivers, and bays that ships use to traverse the southern east coast. Their next destination, Charleston.
2: So the thing about Charleston is the ratio. For every, like, ten girls, there's one guy. So for, like, a bunch of dudes on a boat that have just seen each other for a while... That was like, oh, like, yeah, let's go to Charleston. Like, you know, see what's going on over there.
0: The crew spent Thanksgiving in Charleston and had a great time getting to know some local places and people. Owen and Elliot spent their days exploring the city. Kiko used the downtime to start editing some of the film he had collected from the first month of their trip. But Tucker, he was getting bored.
2: And then, of course, we still had that thing back in Hampton with the whole... Engine and I think Tucker might have gotten a little bit kind of too maybe into his own thoughts. So one morning we woke up. Tucker had gotten up. He seemed a little more down than usual that day, Um, and he kind of just got up, talked to Elliot, and just like and I overheard the conversation. He was, yeah, I have to go home. So he he, within twenty minutes, and I kid you not, twenty minutes, he was fully packed, had everything. Took him on the boat, brought him to shore. He went to the airport, and that was it.
0: Tucker leaving dampened the mood on the whole trip. Owen took it pretty hard. But he, Kiko, and Elliot pressed on towards Florida. They switched around their night watch rotation, which, without Tucker, left them all a little low on sleep. But about a week later... Kiko, Elliot, and Owen arrived in West Palm Beach, Florida. From there, they just had the final 120-mile stretch to the Bahamas. They covered that distance in just two days. The crew docked on the Great Abaco Island. They slipped into shorts and flip-flops and started the adventure they'd been dreaming of since they left Maine.
2: The coral reefs down there are ridiculous. And I recommend anyone that goes down there to, for vacation or whatever, to definitely go diving in the coral reefs because it's beautiful. Um, the amount of fish, different fish that you can see, like clownfish. I didn't even know there was a clownfish, but it looks like a clownfish. It's, it's really cool.
0: The guys also swam with sharks and went diving in old shipwrecks. They tried local food and got to know some residents of the various islands They spent several weeks enjoying island life and then sailed back to West Palm Beach in early February 2021. As they sailed back to the mainland, Kiko reflected on just how much he'd learned on this long journey.
2: Knowing that I can handle the boat by myself, knowing how to handle certain situations, like what has happened so far, um, how can we make those things be prevented in the future? So all those things kind of together made me a lot more confident, and uh, I wasn't that, you know, 19-year-old little boy that began on the trip not knowing anything. I was now not the 19-year-old little boy that knew more than he left, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> when their trip came to a close, Elliot stayed in Florida with his boat and Kiko caught a flight back to Maine. After that much time out at sea, sharing a 36-foot sloop with three other guys, Kiko felt ready to get home. But he also knew that saying yes to this adventure had been very worthwhile.
2: Being on a sailboat, you're not in control of what's going on around you. You have to kind of work around what is going on. So. It's not like you can just decide that, oh, I don't want wind today. There won't be any wind today. We're good, guys. No. you know, Like there's wind. Okay. Like there's wind now. Okay. We got to do something. Oh, there's no wind. Okay. We got to do something. So it's it's definitely a great kind of way of learning about how you can work around things that are out of your control and how to work with it. You take that and you kind of use it in your own life.
1: Thank you, Kiko, for sharing your story. Our stories come from friends, from friends of friends, and from you, our community. You guys rock. If you have a compelling idea for a guest or a story lead, please give us a shout. You can use the submission form on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Music today from Bradley Carter, Sun Searcher, John Barry, Kai Engel, Publish the Quest, and Brennan O'Connell. The tracks are courtesy of the artists or free music archive. Jacob Bain, and niece Cotto composed our theme song. You can find the links to the artists at our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. This episode was produced by Cordelia Zars with additional production help from Ashley Langholtz, Becca Cahal, and me, Fitz Cajal. Illustration by Walker Call. Graphics by Anya Miller. Becca Cahall is our executive producer. I'm Fitz Cajal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. Thanks for tuning in.